Welcome to Facts Roundtable, a podcast dedicated to navigating life with food allergies across the lifespan. Presented in a welcoming format with interviews and open discussions, each episode will explore a specific topic, leaving you with the facts to know or use. Information presented via this podcast is educational and not intended to provide individual medical advice. Please consult with your personal board-certified allergist or healthcare providers for advice specific to your situation. Hi, everyone. I'm Caroline Mawasasi, and I am your host for the Fact Roundtable podcast. I am a food allergy parent, advocate, and the founder of the Grateful Foodie blog, and I am Fact's Vice President of Community Relations. At times, things just don't go as planned with food allergy school accommodations. When this happens, panic, frustration, or overwhelm can hit. But as food allergy caregivers and parents, we know we have to pivot when this happens. To help us prepare for the unexpected, we're sitting down with FACS General Counsel and Vice President of Civil Rights Advocacy, Amelia Smith, to explore solutions for your school year success. Before we start today, I would like to give a heartfelt thank you to Amun for sponsoring FACS Roundtable Podcast. Amelia, welcome back to Facts Roundtable podcast. As you know, you are a fan favorite because you give us such great information about school, but you're also a parent of a child with food allergies. So you also have this really personal insight. So welcome. Thanks, Caroline. I'm so glad to be back. Well, I am very happy about it. And then we're just going to jump right in to today's topic about what to do when things go awry at school. First and foremost, when a parent or caregiver learns that an accommodation has been violated or a promise gets forgotten, what do you suggest be the first step in solving the problem? How does a parent or caregiver tackle this? The first thing I recommend a parent or caregiver do is stop and breathe. Mistakes are going to happen. I don't care how thorough your 504 plan is. I don't care how much planning you've put into it. I don't care how well everybody understands things. Mistakes are going to happen. I, as a food allergy parent, have made mistakes with my son. I have looked back on things and going, oh, my goodness, you know, taking him to a fresh seafood market in Pensacola, Florida. I didn't even think about him steaming shellfish. And he walked in and, of course, within seconds broke out in hives. I should have known better. I'm his mother. Who knows better what he needs than I do? And I made that mistake. We're all human. Teachers are human, school administrators are human, cafeteria workers, school nurses, we're all human, and mistakes are going to happen. And nine out of ten times, they're not done maliciously. So it's very important just to stop for a minute and take a breath before you react so that you can respond appropriately and not just react. Well, and thank you for the reminder that we're human because it's so true. And I think because we're letting go of our child and sending them to school, we have a tendency to want perfection, right? We want everything to go well. So I think that's a really great reminder because, yeah, I have bought things at the grocery store that had peanut in it. And if we make mistakes dealing with our children, who we know better than anyone else, of course, teachers and school personnel are going to make mistakes. It's just that's just the nature of life. So it's important to remember that above all else. You know, it's all about the pivot, which we're going to discuss 
So Amelia, just based on your knowledge now, can you give us an example of a potential situation and how it was solved or maybe even just happened to your own experiences? Sure, Caroline. We've had several instances occur with my son, even in school, where things, of course, didn't go right. And we've had to punt or pivot after school started to change the way things were going. My son had an egg allergy, which he has outgrown, thankfully. In primary school, when the kids got to school in the morning, they all went in the cafeteria to wait for the bell to ring. So they all settled on the walls in the cafeteria. And of course, the cafeteria was cooking eggs most mornings for breakfast. And Robert, you know, we've discussed how super sensitive he has been on other podcasts, but he was sensitive enough that the cooked egg protein, he would break out in hives just from it being in the air, the aerosolized protein. So we had to figure out what to do about that because, of course, that was not something that we planned for in a 504 plan. We were worried about surface contact, not airborne protein. So we had to come back to the table and figure out what to do. And I started with the school nurse at that point and said, okay, here's the problem. Let's figure out what to do. And Robert, after working with his counselor and the school nurse and reconvening a meeting, we decided that he would wait in the office and he would be allowed a friend to sit in the office with him in a chair and there in the school office instead of having to wait in the cafeteria. So that worked out very well. We've also had instances, of course, where unsafe snacks have been brought in the room. So we punted and said, okay, no snacks in the classroom anymore. Let's do snacks in the hallway because his 504 plan was, of course, when he was younger, given the ADHD and other comorbidities he had, we did have a food allergen-free classroom at that time. You know, we punted and moved snacks out into the hallway instead of them being consumed in the classroom. The lesson in all of that was to approach the school in a collaborative manner, as I always encourage and say, okay, here's the problem. Here's what's happening. Here's what we have finding is not working. Let's come up with a way to solve these problems together. And we luckily were able to come up with solutions. I think that's the key right there when you said solve problems together. Because I know from my own experience, when I kind of came in as they're the perpetrator, say they've done something wrong, I must go in there and correct. I haven't had the best response. But when I've gone in before with, wow, this just didn't work out right. Let's sit down and think this through. I guess I wasn't throwing as much blame on the second time. And that really made a difference. It does. A lot of times schools are going to react to your approach more than respond to what you're actually saying. Therefore, you know, the approach you take and keeping the focus on that collaboration with the school is very important, not only to ensure that you get them on board to pivot, but it's also important to remember, especially parents of younger children, you know, your children may be in this district for many years to come, and you're going to have to continue to work with these people. That is a really good point. And so now staying on topic, how do you work with families when things just don't go right? Is there a system you use? For example, when I've hit walls myself in the past, I'll stop, I'll call a fellow food allergy parent, I have them talk me off the ledge and help me calm down emotionally so then I can start problem solving, but that's like my system. I have to just stop and just get some kind of check-in because my emotions can shoot up high pretty fast. And I know this. So I also know before I do anything, just 
I need to stop. That's my big system is stop and then move into that logical phase. So what system might you suggest? You know, Caroline, I think that is a wonderful system that you had in place. I personally have to do that. I know I've actually called you a couple of times when I had some very disturbing situations going on. At least disturbing to me, they were highly charged emotionally. Now, I do recommend stopping, pausing, talking to someone, talking out those emotions, whether it be another local food allergy parent, a spouse, support groups. You know, we have great food allergy support groups across the nation. A lot of times we've run into parents who have dealt with these situations in the same school district. You might be able to brainstorm with them before you even approach the school. Also, we, in fact, offer that one-on-one contact free of charge that you can reach out to me if you are in the midst of all of this. But it's important to work out the emotions before you move on to the next step. And as the next step, I recommend that you email and say, hey, you know, this is what's going on. Here's what's not working out. And email the person directly that you're having the issues with. If it's a teacher who is bringing in unsafe food that's a violation of your 504 plan or a teacher that didn't warn you that there was a party coming up and you weren't prepared and your child got excluded, reach out to that person And you can copy the 504 coordinator, copy the principal on the emails. It's important that you put these things in writing in case you do have to follow up and take steps further down the road to show that you are trying to be collaborative. But it's also important to keep the administrators and the 504 coordinators abreast of what's happening. That is my personal solution. And in our most recent 504 meeting, the 504 coordinator even told my son's teachers, hey, just so you know, She always copies the principal. She always copies me on it. I don't get involved unless I need to. If I see things are going off the rails or something doesn't fit with our policies, I'll speak up. But I'd like for you to handle it yourself. I'll let you handle it yourself. But it's just a way of keeping me informed of what's going on. I had never actually discussed it with the 504 coordinator or the principal. That's just the attorney and me. I'm making sure everybody's aware of what's going on. And really, you know, she complimented the the fact that I did that because she stays aware of what's going on and can step in if she needs to. And she also wanted the teachers that I did that because a lot of times, you know, if they do see that carbon copy, they might get upset thinking that you're tattling on them. So it's important to address the fact, you know, that this is just, there so that they can stay abreast of what's going on, but really you are reaching out one-on-one to that individual, that teacher. I personally really prefer the emails and then a conversation because I'll be honest, I forget. I'll forget parts of the conversation or maybe I've misunderstood something. And what I like about the email is I have that paper trail and I can go back and say, okay, this is my part. This is your part. And if I don't understand it, that gives me a chance then to pick up the phone and schedule a meeting or have a conversation. But I really like the emails because I just need that trail. Oh, well, you know, with the emails, it's it's somewhat similar to what we discussed in our podcast about getting 504 plans, getting accommodation plans. If it happens in a conversation, it may as well not have happened in some cases. We all are human. We all forget things. So it is important to have that paper trail. It also gives people something they can reference and look back to. And if you do discuss it in a conversation, I would follow up with an email and say, you know, per our conversation or after talking to you, here is my understanding of our next steps, or here's what we discussed and what I think the solution we reached is. Something so that everyone has something that they can look back on, but also 
if you still continue to have problems getting things resolved, you do have that paper trail. So now, Amelia, you're our general counsel, and so you present at a lot of our conferences and webinars and work with support group leaders, and there's always lots of questions after every presentation. I think you are the one speaker who always has just an amazing amount of interaction with people having a lot of questions. So what kind of questions are common to you that you get from families, either at these events or even when people reach out to you and email you? But what are just some of your most common questions that families have regarding challenges and accommodations? Well, you know, some of the questions we get, Caroline, are, okay, we've had this problem, now what? That's that's pretty much the gist of what I get, now what? So it's what you can do when you have a problem. Yes, you can email the teacher and try to work it out that way. 504 plans are not written in stone. That is another question I get. You know, can we go in and change this? If we see it's not working, yes, you can. They're fluid documents. You can always call another meeting or request another meeting. You can always request a change in your plan if you say something's not working. And that really is the big question is, X is not working. What do we do now? You know, whatever that X may be. So it's important to be able to pivot and realize that what you have in your plan now is not set in stone and you can change it. And some of the other questions I get are, you know, what can we do to prepare for when things go awry? From the beginning, and I think that's another important part to think of. If you are still in the process of writing your plans this year, you might want to plan for things to go cattywampus, out of off track. If there were to be a reaction in school, do you want to put in your 504 plan that in the case of a reaction, you know, staff is rechained, or you know, that you would have a meeting with the administrators to kind of debrief and figure out what went wrong? Those are things that can be put in your plan. We always say that we hate the safe snack situation where you have to prepare safe snacks all the time and your student is automatically going to be excluded. But do you want to keep a safe set of cupcakes in the freezer in case someone forgets to remind you of a party or to notify you of a party or a parent brings in food that the teacher didn't expect? You know, these are things that happen and these are things that can be planned for ahead of time. You can keep a safe set of cupcakes in the freezer at school with school permission, of course, but I've never had someone call and say the school won't let me keep safe cupcakes there. That's not been something I've heard. You know, those are things that you can think about before and try to head off some of these issues. Thank you for sharing those because I think that really puts us in a place to just think ahead a little, you know, just a little pre-planning, just getting your head around something I think really helps. So going just a little deeper now on the problem solving, how can families determine when it's time to get a little more aggressive? So speaking from personal experience, sometimes I find myself just absolutely ready to talk to a lawyer when really I just need a simple conversation. So what tips could you have for us on how to determine when to step it up a notch or maybe when to pull it back a little bit? You know, I often see a lot of times on social media, families saying, go to the OCR, talk to a lawyer, and sometimes it just feels like maybe a little too heavy. Sure. Um, you know, again, I think that's why I said the first step is to breathe, to try to get your emotions in check, because of course, we're speaking about our children here in most cases. And we as parents, of course, vehemently defend our children and do everything we can to protect them. And sometimes accidents or mistakes 
feel like intentional attacks and they're not. So again, you know, it is important to keep those emotions in check to discuss things out with someone else before you escalate things. And then of course, I have my own system for escalating things. It's not, okay, let's talk to the teacher and then automatically go to the OCR or file a federal lawsuit the second the teacher doesn't respond in the way we want them to. So it is important to really talk it out and then to follow the hierarchy of the school, whether it be teacher first, then principal, then 504 coordinator, then superintendent. However, you need to escalate that in the district before you seek outside recourse. And then as far as outside recourse, of course, we know with 504s, you may have been given your procedural safeguards at your meeting that say these are your options, you know, where you can go to due process, you can request a mediation, you can file a state complaint with your State Department of Education. And then we know that the OCR is an option, which is the U.S. Department of Education's Office for Civil Rights. They are tasked with handling 504 complaints in public schools. And then, of course, we know you can go straight to a federal court for 504. You don't have to exhaust any of these administrative remedies. But when most people speak to me, they get so surprised that I don't say, you need to file an OCR complaint or you need to file a lawsuit. Because, as I said earlier, you're going to have to deal with these people for years with your children. If your child is not a senior in high school, you're going to have to deal with most of these same players again. And your children are going to have to deal with them. And that is one of the things that I'm getting a lot of calls on right now are retaliation complaints where parents have filed OCR complaints and the schools are taking retaliatory action at this point against them because things have gotten so heated and so contentious. And, you know, of course, retaliatory situations are in and of themselves disability discrimination that sets up an entire another OCR complaint or lawsuit. So we want to try to avoid that at all costs, but there are situations where it is unavoidable. And if you are in a situation where you don't quite know whether you have gone through the channels at the school to escalate or that the situation is so severe or serious that it warrants going to the OCR or contacting an attorney, we have that one-on-one contact service available where I'm here to listen. And that's one thing that a lot of parents don't quite expect either. They'll send me, you know, a thorough, detailed email explaining their entire situation to me. But I want to talk to them when they call or when we have our call. I want to hear them tell their story. Because in hearing them tell their story, I hear a lot in their tone and their inflection And the way they tell me the story to understand where they are emotionally and what type of fight they've had with the school or situations like that, I can tell a lot about how highly charged the situation is just from hearing a parent tell their story, especially with as many calls as I've done over the years. And so that gives me a clue, too, of, okay, maybe we need to take this down a notch. Maybe we need to look at some of the emotions behind this, or maybe we need to punt and try a different approach, a different attitude, if you will, towards the school. So that is another thing I do with these one-on-one contacts is assess where a parent is emotionally in the situation and then decide, you know, what would be a better approach. If I were in their position, would I try to go back to the school? Would I explain the why to the school as we've discussed before, the why this isn't working, the 
the bad outcomes, you know, why I want to change this. And if they don't want to implement my change, give them the chance to come up with a change of their own. Or do we need to reach out to a local education advocate? That is another service that we offer is helping send people the local resources in their area who would be more familiar with their school district than I am. Of course, I'm just little on me sitting here in Mississippi. I don't know every school district in all 50 states. So we direct to local resources. Education advocates are great intermediaries to help the parents deal with the schools. They usually are familiar with the players in the local school districts, and they're not attorneys, and they're not the OCR. So they are less adversarial, if you will, with my little air quotes that no one can see as they're listening. Because, of course, we've discussed that this is not an adversarial situation to get a 504 or to keep a 504 inherently. But when things go awry, sometimes it feels adversarial when it shouldn't necessarily. Very wise words of wisdom. And I especially love, you always say, explain the why. Actually, I confess, I have a little piece of paper by my desk with my Amelia-isms. <laughs> and I've been writing them over the years because when Amelia speaks, she'll just have these little one-liners that just keep me in place and explain the why I'm looking at my sheet right now is one of them. And I just love that you shared this with everybody because sometimes that's all we need. We just need a little bit of direction. We've got all the solutions. We have all the answers. And sometimes we just need a little one-liner like that. Explain the why, because I agree with you when I've tried that in the past, after learning it from you, that helps the teachers in the school and administration understand why I'm trying to achieve something where they think maybe it's overkill or inappropriate. Once I come back and explain the why, I'll even include some statistics. They'll say, yes, you're right. Let's look at this again. Really appreciate that tip. Well, Amelia, it's that time. We've come to the end here of spending this beautiful time together. So before we wrap up, is there any parting words you want to share with our listeners today? You know, Caroline, I think it's important just to remember, you know, how we started the podcast today, and that is to breathe, take a breath, calm down. We fight for our children. We are zealous advocates. Like I always say, teachers didn't go into education for the money. They went into it because they wanted to help children. Nine times out of 10, these are simple mistakes that the teachers feel badly about themselves or the school feels badly about themselves. So it's not going to help us to go in and attack them or to go in emotionally charged because their emotions are probably running high as well. So it's important that everybody take a deep breath, take a step back before you send that email and copy everybody on it and to approach it from, a, okay, I know a mistake was made. I understand it was a simple mistake. Let's figure out how to avoid it in the future and keep that collaborative approach alive. It's best for our students. It's best for the school. It's going to work out best for you. And ultimately, usually these things will work out if you deal with them with the right approach, the right tone, the right manner. And if they don't, if that doesn't work, remember, we at Factor are always here for you. You can reach out, but just know that we are here for you. And if you don't know what to do next, I am more than happy to schedule a call with you and brainstorm what I would do if I were in your position to try to give you some other ideas. 
What a wonderful ending to a great podcast. Thank you for those wonderful words of wisdom. Amelia, thank you again for your time. I know you're very busy right now. Back to school is incredibly busy. You're very popular (laughs) right now with everyone. So thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Caroline. I enjoyed it as always. Before we wrap up today, I just want to say thank you once again to Amune for their kind support of the Facts Roundtable podcast. Thank you for listening to Facts Roundtable podcast. Stay tuned for future episodes coming soon. Please subscribe, leave a review, and listen to our podcast on Pandora, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and Stitcher. Have a great day and always be kind to one another.